This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Who's with me? Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and in light of the fact that I totally missed National Tourism Day, let me offer my apologies and take you on an overdue tour of this basement-based podcast. First, we always feature a super special guest, and today... It's the amazing New York Times bestselling author and co-host of the InvestEd podcast, Phil Town. Plus, we cover a couple of headlines every show, and today we'll include one about an expert on college loans who really doesn't exist. If you think that's all, you've got another thing coming, or in this case, three things, because we'll still throw out the Haven Lifeline to Andy, who wonders where to invest next, answer another listener letter, and top it all off with the world's best trivia. And now, two guys who are always first in line for a tour of the Texarkana Dairy Queen, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. Peanut Buster Parfait for the win, baby. Does your Dairy Queen have chocolate? You mean our Dairy Queen? You mean the yeah. Dairy Queen? Sorry. Capital D, capital Q. Absolutely. Does you, really? Yes. But huh. most don't. I found that out the hard way. I don't like vanilla, so. Oh, you are. Vanilla is too plain. Hi, welcome to the Vanilla Rocks podcast. Chocolate. Featuring. I'll do vanilla with chocolate in a twist. You're already on the contrarian side, and we haven't even started talking about money yet. Just so people know which voice is which, I'm the voice of reason, Joe Salcihai, the one that knows that vanilla is the best ever. And across the table from me, the uh, moron who doesn't understand this beautiful thing called vanilla, the other guy, or we call him OG. I'm going to do a Twitter poll to see if chocolate or vanilla is the winner, but I'm thinking it's chocolate. I don't know how to transition into this OG, so I'm just going to do it. (laughs) It's a bad day when you're out of transitions. You've been out of transitions for about six and a half years. So. Hey, easy, man. Easy. I'm working. But thanks to Honey for supporting Stacking Benjamins. You could put a little Honey on that statement. How about that? Honey's yep. the f- free browser add-on that over 9 million people, 9 million of them, and maybe 9 million one if you do it, are using every day to save money when they shop online. It's free and takes just two clicks to install and save you tons of money. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash SB. I tried to go to Honey. It's joinhoney.com slash SB. And we're also going to do an internal plug this morning for the stacker, stackybedjamins.com forward slash stacker. If you want all the news about everything going on in the basement, plus our take on popular things going on in financial planning, head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash stacker for more. All right, we got a big show today, OG. Phil Town coming down to the basement. Woo-hoo. Yes, but we got some headlines first, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. First headline comes to us from the Daily Wire. This is this is hilarious. You got to watch out for this when you find people on the internet. <laughs> Meet the expert. Okay. Did you see this? This is a couple weeks old now, but we've had more important pressing headlines lately. But this is still incredibly funny. Meet the expert often quoted by mainstream media outlets who doesn't exist. Did you see this one? No. 
The Chronicle Higher Education isn't known for producing the most entertaining content, but its new expose on the ubiquitous student loan debt expert Drew Cloud is comedic gold. The self-described debt expert and journalist Cloud, the Chronicle notes, quote, is everywhere. His first-rate research, which, by the way, people say it was first-rate research, and the guy was amazingly quotable. Published on his website, The Student Loan Report, frequently cited by mainstream media outlets, including the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, CNBC, Forbes, and Business Insider, while his name is, quote, a fixture in the smaller specialized blogosphere of student debt. This guy was commenting all over the place. He's always got new data featuring irresistible twists, like one in five students use extra money from their student loans to buy digital currencies. (laughs) And nearly 8% of students would move to North Korea to free themselves of their debt. And 27% would contract the Zika virus so they could live debt-free. His website says it, quote, aims to cover all student loan news around the nation and internationally so borrowers can stay informed about the debt that is of substantial impact on their lives. The Student Loan Report covers all student loan news nationally, regionally, and internationally. The site also tracks and reports changes in the student loan industry as this often has a considerable impact on borrowers. They even have a picture of him. He's incredibly likable. His writing is very crisp. And it turns out he doesn't exist. There is no such person. Who's the, doing the writing? Then? The editors and the creators of the site decided, because they're all kind of busy apparently, that they'd make up this person who would be the perfectly quotable person. And he would represent them in the media. And so uh, it finally came down. One, one media outlet really, really, really wanted to make sure that he was real. And he always was on a plane. Oh, he's on a plane to Europe. Oh, he's, he's headed to something. Oh, he's, he's in a meeting right now. I just went to get lunch. Oh, and they would send things to prove that he's real, which was pretty much just stuff that he had written in other places. Look, he's been quoted in Forbes. Look, he's been quoted on CNBC. Of course he's real. He's not real. Well, but it, someone is, is it just a fake name of, or is it amalgamation of like a whole bunch of different people's It's a fake name and a, but it's a, it's a fake name and a bunch of editors, whoever the editor is, that's working that day apparently was just writing the copy. So different huh. people, whoever was available is writing the copy. We should do that. We should have a fake Joe and OG and whoever's available. Maybe, just maybe, f- maybe we are fake phones. in the <laughs> maybe, maybe we're not really, you take the blue pill. Then <laughs> see how far open. see how far this rabbit hole goes, right? Yeah, exactly. But does it matter? I mean, if if they're giving here's here's my question: if they're giving good student loan advice, does it matter if he's real or not? So here's the deal that I can't figure out. I mean, what kind of you know self conscious loser needs to hide behind a right. fake name? Exactly. Why not just go I mean, out there as yourself, right? Just, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're proud of what you do, you don't have to, you don't have to like hide behind a moniker. Who would Looking have, at you, Mark Twain. <laughs> if we ever figure out who actually Mark Twain was, that'll be, exactly. that'll be fantastic. Samuel, somebody or another, I think. But does it matter if it, I mean, seriously, if, if he's giving good, reputable advice and these outlets are able to track the quality of the advice so that he's, He's now, I don't know this, you know, these stats about the Zika virus and stuff, but, yeah. but, but yeah, who knows, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are quotable and they're funny, but did they really, are they material? Do they matter? Like if of course not. clickbait, it, yeah. Yeah. If 27% would contract, wouldn't contract the Zika virus to live debt free. Does it matter? No, most people want to live debt free. And yeah. okay. If you put that around some funny quote, I, I personally don't care. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I don't think it really matters, but I don't know why you don't just come out with it, right? Right. And, 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 and where, Drew is a nom de plume. And, you wh- know? and where is that line? Like when that guy applying to be Notre Dame's football coach had these <laughs> had all of these things that he'd supposedly done that he hadn't done and agreed that he didn't have, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah. To me, that's across the line because he's representing right. a level of expertise that he doesn't have. But if you're quoted an article and the advice is good, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that I care. But I'm not sure where the, I'm not sure where the line is. Clearly, I don't look at the site the same way anymore as I would have beforehand, right? If I'm somebody that followed the site before, now I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Who, who am I? Who am I reading right now? Is this Bob, Jimmy, or Tom, or Sally? 
Right. Yeah. Like if I work with hmm. a financial planner and they are telling me that they have degrees, they have they have things that let's say I'm listening to a podcast and the person yeah. who does yeah. the podcast says they have all kinds of degrees. And by the way, and we're not going to, we'll kind of throw the stone a little bit. We know somebody who, 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 who's doing that, who says they have a bunch of things that they've done that maybe they did at one time, but they don't have those degrees. Uh, we're not going to talk any more about it than that. But, but still, if, if, if there's a personal relationship, right, you probably need to do a little background investigation. And we talk about, especially in the advisor space, making sure that you look up the broker check website. If he's a, if he or she is a, a broker, does broker advisor website, does broker check tell you if the designations are real? Will broker check tell you about, I don't it think it tell does. You the designations. There's a, there's a few that are on there that are kind of the top tier premium ones that, you know, you can review. But it's still a little bit of self-policing as as a person has to be the one who tells the Internet <laughs> that OG has a CFP, right? I'm the one that tells the SEC I have a CFP. The SEC doesn't go out and check it. But if I'm full of crap and the SEC finds out, that's a pretty big But there is deal. a place. Can I go to the CFP website and put so somebody's name in? So you can go to the in? CFP site. Yeah, exactly. So right. you can go to the issuer of that degree or the issuer of that designation and say, hey – so do you really have a CFP and you can look it up and see what date it was and all that sort of stuff and whether it's current and, you know, maintaining your continuing education. Same thing with your licenses. If you have to have those, I think college degrees are a little bit harder to prove. The college degree is background, right? I mean, but if you say you're a certified yeah. financial planner to prove that you're the smartest guy in the room that you act like you are then you should be able well, to... Well, this transcends... Yeah, and it transcends everything. It's not just financial planning world. I just read an article in the uh, magazine, the kind of local community magazine that they have about a back surgeon who really wasn't a back surgeon. Yeah. Like, he managed to get to the operating room a hundred times before somebody was like, wait a second, what are you doing? Like, that's not how you do that. <laughs> Finally, somebody called him out. Like, where did you learn that technique? Like, you know, uh, I learned it in that operation game where you don't have to buzz the, you know, <laughs> you try to. <laughs> sorry, Jack. There goes your spine. You know. Anyways, so it it happens everywhere, I suppose. But how scary is that? But there are for these advanced caveat degrees. Caveat There there are but there are places to check. I think that's the important part, especially in these. Important relationships. It's important to to check this particular Back surgeons, etc. This particular guy saying student loans are bad online. Yeah. Okay, I don't know how many people on Twitter have fake names in the personal finance space. Mister this, Mrs. That. Yes, right. Yeah, true. And in our second headline, you ever wonder just like what different people are doing right now? Like I often have wondered what people in a roundtable are doing. I sometimes wonder what Doug actually does while he's waiting for us to get to the trivia. And actually today we snuck a little hidden microphone onto the lid of his hat. Dude will never notice it. It's amazing. Things huge and he'll never notice it, but let's tune in and hear what Doug's thinking right now. All right. Uh, let me see here if this YouTube video is right. I, I just pop this end of the hose into OG's gas tank and, uh, what the? I got to suck on the other end? All right, well, I can't suck as bad as being the announcer for those two losers podcasts. And if it helps get the El Camino running, all I got to say is watch out Wet Burrito Wednesday and the Senoritas down at El Chico because I am on my way. God, whenever I do like this, I always get that feeling like there's a hidden camera around me or doing bad community theater or some stupid podcast skit. All I know, though, is that if someone's watching me, once again, I am the star of the show. So, OG, say goodbye to about two and a half gallons. And ladies at El Chico, say hello to Senor Douglas. And as we suspected, not much going on there, OG. Just crickets. Yeah. Uh, so, I think there's no lesson there, except uh, maybe um, have a better plan than Doug has.
Phil Town was the guy that wrote the book that I gave my son when he said, Dad, I'm interested in individual stocks. I said, you know what? There's nobody better to learn individual stocks from, in my opinion, than Phil Town. Phil Town, of course, wrote the New York Times bestselling book, Rule One Investing. We'll ask him about Rule One because it's always fun to ask Phil Town what Rule One is. He and his daughter, Danielle, have a podcast, which is uh, very popular, called Invest Ed. Danielle is an attorney and knew very little about money, even though she had a dad that's obsessed with knowing as much as possible about money. She talks in their new book, Invested, about all the lessons she learned from her dad about money and investing. And as always, uh, Phil is a great guy to learn from. So here he comes down to the basement, our good friend, Phil Town. Phil, have a seat, man. How are you? Oh, man, it's good to see you, Joe. How it's, are you doing, buddy? It is great to have you back here. How cool is it to see your daughter's name on the cover of a book? Yeah, I know, exactly. Except that, you know, now she's getting all the attention. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew you were an attention hog. Except for you, Joe. I'm the only one that comes down here. Right. <laughs> Well, well, let me. The first part of this book is very much an autobiography, and it's about your kind of your relationship together. Describe your relationship with Danielle early in her life. Well, she's our firstborn daughter, and she got all the attention that firstborn daughters get from their dads. And you know, we had this really, really close relationship, and then her mom and I got divorced, and it really shook her up way more than I realized. Um, she was, I think, eleven at the time, and. I thought she was handling everything. You know, obviously it's really hard. Everybody who's gone through it knows how tough it is on everybody, but especially on the kids. But, you know, you do your best and you try to make it all work. And we had a couple of years there where it was really rough sledding between my ex and I as we were kind of working through the financial aspects of the divorce. And I just had no idea what the impact of my actions on the family were. You know, I was mad. She was mad. We both had lawyers. The lawyers were both doing their lawyer thing. And it really created a lot of anxiety in the kids that I didn't really realize. Uh, financial anxiety, actually. And then when we got it all settled, we uh, we settled into a house next door to each other up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And, uh, and then everything was, you know, as good as it could be for that. And the kids and I have been very close ever since. But what I just didn't realize was that Danielle, since she's been in high school, I've always tried to teach her how to invest. And she pushed back on it a lot. And I, I just had no idea until writing this book, Joe, that I had left wounds so deep that she didn't trust me to teach her anything about money because she felt that I had taken the money away from the family for those very rough two years. And she didn't want anything to do with it. And I, and I don't think she even realized that deep down. And it wasn't until we were writing that we both sort of realized there's something going on here. I remember writing a note to her. Like she was, well, the way we would write the book is that um, I would write a piece and then she would write a piece. And then we'd look at each other's pieces and then we'd edit and then send it back. And, and she was in Zurich and I was in Atlanta. I wrote a note on one part of the book that she had done a first draft of. And I said, just a sort of a, a little bit in humor, right? Hey, looks like this girl really hates her dad. <laughs> I was sort of tweaking her a little bit just because there was so much anger coming out. It still reads that way. It still reads that way because we made a conscious decision to leave it alone. You know, just in the, in the name of honesty and, and really having people understand things that drive us, we thought we'd just put our own story out there. And so we left it alone. We left the anger in. And it was a hard decision. You know, you sort of wonder how your world's going to take it when your daughter is basically saying, you're Voldemort and I don't trust you. And I'm, I'm a guy who manages money for other people, right? And it's like, damn, this is a little hard to put out there. But we decided to do it. And I think it makes, I don't know, what do you think? Does, does, does it read well for you? Did you like it? 
Well, I did, but I but I think Phil that when you look at your investors, your students, and uh, your readers that have contacted you, like people are wondering right now as they're listening, what the hell does this have to do with money? Like money brings all these emotions to the table that we don't expect, and you really get that from the beginning of this book. What it has to do with money is that a lot of people are very afraid of taking on their own investing. They don't want to do it. And what Danielle's idea is, and I think I agree with it, is that there's a lot of time there's something going on inside about money that you have to confront. And this book isn't about confronting your demons around money, except in the sense that Danielle had to do that before she could really open up to really learning and being willing to become her own financial master. It's really in that personal context that that, that book went forward and, the, and that's why it's part of it. And I think that that's really true. I, I've been talking to people about that in some of our courses and just, man, alive, the number of people in the audience that have really strong negative feelings about money is very, it's amazing. And, you know, we have to deal with it. Now, this book isn't where you learn how to deal with that. You know, we, we wrote this book about how do you manage money? How do you manage your own money? What do you have to overcome to do that? But I would say that for a lot of people who are not interested in investing, this may open up the door to say, wow, there's something going on in me. Look at how basically simple good investing really is. Why aren't I doing it? That might be something worth worth looking at. Well, it has a lot to do with the first chapter of the book. The book is a format of uh, one year, and in January, it's all about becoming brave. And I think the stuff we tackled so far is a lot about becoming brave. But the February thing I want to tackle, and we're obviously not going to get to every month here, is about knowing your number. What does that mean, Phil, knowing your number? Have you ever watched those? I call this stuff that we see on TV on, on financial services advertisements, you know, for a life insurance company that wants to manage your money or a, an investment company. I call it financial pornography <laughs> because it's fake people for the vast majority of people out there. What these companies propose to do will have absolutely nothing but a negative effect on your investing rates of return and your overall money that you retire with, except for those who aren't going to do anything at all. If you're not going to do anything at all, then fine. Get get an insurance company or a bank or a financial advisor to uh, try to help you or a robo-advisor. But by and large, for most people, they don't have enough money to attract talented financial advisors, which they're not going to even talk to you if you have less than $500,000. And if you don't have enough money to attract a talented financial advisor, you're getting advice from somebody who's going to work on the subway, okay? They're not going to work in a limo. They don't have money either, which ought to be a clue, right? So you're going to go get advice from these people. And what they're going to tell you is that they can help you retire in a wonderful sort of way. In 10 years, you're going to be able to retire. So what we did is we said, look, how much do you actually have to have to retire? Let's take a look at that. And we call that your number, the dollars you have to have in the can at, let's say, you're going to retire at age 65. At age 65, what do you need in order to just put your money someplace safe and live on it for the rest of your life? How much do you have to have? And man, I mean, you know how shockingly large that number actually is for someone who just wants to live uh, a regular lifestyle. So the components that come into it are, number one, how much are you going to spend in retirement? You know, so make an estimate. And then number two, uh, how much are you saving and how much do you already have that you can put toward that retirement benefit to yourself? And then three, what's your rate of return right now? Or what do, what do you project it to be? So for most people, let's say, you know, putting away $12,000 a year would be a pretty big deal, um, thousand bucks a month. Getting a standard rate of return in the market would mean, you know, basically the long-term rate of return in the market is about 5% plus maybe 2% for dividends, so maybe 7% overall. And how much do you have now? The average 45-year-old has about $50,000. And when you run that out and you say, okay, well, you've got 50,000 now, you're gonna save 12,000 a year pre-tax, you're gonna get maybe 7% on it. And how much do you need to live on? You say, okay, well, I need 50,000 a year in current dollars, meaning you know, after inflation, I need a constant 50,000 going forward for the next 30 years when I retire. If you did that simple math right there, you would find out very quickly 
that you will need about 1.5 to $2 million to retire on at age 65. And if you're 45 right now, getting from where you are with $50,000 now and 12,000 a year you can save, making 7% a year, you're not gonna get there. You're not even gonna get close to getting there. And that's a shock for most people. They, no one wants to run those numbers for them in the financial services industry because they cannot get them with current advice they cannot get them to that to that retirement amount. I was just going to ask you that if if you think that finding out that number is demotivational for a lot of people, like just screw it, I can't get there, so I'm going to do nothing. Yeah, I think that would be very anti-motivational or demotivational. I think that's always what happens when you get shocked like that. You go into denial, and you say, "Well, screw it. You know, I'll just spend it and live a good life, and then um, you know, live in my children's basement if they'll let me." Hey, easy, or, easy. Yeah. yeah. Let's not talk so, about living in the basement. <laughs> hey, I mean, look around. This could be nice. <laughs> it's someday, it's man. It's not nice now, so if but it, it could be nice. If we have more Phil Towns on the show, it'll be nice sooner rather than later. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it's not horrible, is it? but it's not, it's not everybody's first choice, especially if you're the kids. And so you go, okay, well, I'm not motivated and I'm going to denial, right? And then I have to accept the fact that I'm going to have to do something else. And hopefully that something else that you'll do would cause you to read this book and realize, okay, maybe there is an answer here. To do that, I want to do two things. I want to ask you a question that just really came into my mind as you're talking about 7%, which I think is a you know realistic number from traditional financial firms. You hear a guy like Dave Ramsey say 12%. And then recommend pretty traditional stuff. What do you think when you hear that? Well, I think that Dave is referring to times when the market's producing 12% and hoping that that can stay the same. Because if he were to run the math for you, 12% will work out pretty good. That starts to make, hey, I can do this. And over the last few years, we've had about 12% rolling along in the market. So it's not that it's impossible. And in the long run, often people will refer to a 9% return in the S&P 500 as opposed to seven. So there's different numbers out there. 12%, frankly, is not what the market delivers in the long run. So if you're investing for 40 years, you're not going to see a 12% return in the stock market. You're going to get maybe nine if you leave everything in there and everything goes well. And about the time you retire, you're in a bull market, you might see a nine. Um, If you're in a bear market, you're going to see an overall seven or even less. There are 20 year periods of time where the market produces zero percent rate of return. So I think Dave is I love Dave and I think he does so many good things for people. I think he's just being a little optimistic, a little fudging it there in order for people to feel like, yeah, I can make this. I can make this happen. And then they get a little frustrated by that, I think, when they go out and actually see how difficult it is to get 12%. And Dave just waltzes right over the top of that one (laughs) when it comes time to, uh, hey, where exactly are these mutual funds that are going to give me 12%, buddy? So if we look over the last seven or eight years, yeah, we got 12%. If you look over the last 18 years, nah, you don't have 12%, you know? You beat about five so far. So, you know, I think he's being a little selective. Yeah. It does happen, but it's selective. Well, let's dive into your gurus. So Danielle's guru is you. Your gurus from your number one rule is, of course, Mr. Buffett and and Mr. Graham, Mr. Munger. Probably those three, I would say, with not to put words in your mouth, are, are three of oh, your guys. Sure. You're, you're right on the money there. How do we start producing these returns that are different then? Well, that is, of course, the whole problem, right? I mean, that's if this was easy to do, man, everybody would be doing it. And ironically, it's simple enough to do, but simple and easy are different, right? I'm a snowboarder. I'm a pretty decent snowboarder. And I can tell you my first week on a snowboard was simple but not easy, right? It's simple. Just turn onto that edge, then turn onto the other edge. It couldn't be more simple. But easy, no. Now it's easy, right? I've gotten good at it. I practiced it. I struggle with Spanish, right? I mean, I've taken Spanish. Come on, man. There's no more simple language on the planet. Everything's spelled like it sounds. It's a great language. And, you know, is it easy for me to learn it? No. Because why? Because I'm not disciplined. I don't study. I don't sit around and memorize. So the idea that you're going to be able to go out and get rates of return in the stock market that exceed 
the large diversified rates of return in an index is a little bit fictional for most people because most people are not going to put in the time and effort to actually do it. Just as learning a new language is fictional for most people, snowboarding is fictional for many people. They're just not going to put in the time. But for those who are willing to learn this, it really is simple to get higher rates of return. The first thing you have to do is recognize that in order to get higher rates of return, you have to stop over diversifying your portfolio. You got to narrow it down to a small number of companies that you really do understand and own those companies as long as they remain solid companies and are priced at or below their real value. So the process of investing becomes this. You want to narrow down the number of things you're going to buy by focusing on only those things that you truly understand. So for Danielle, this was a process of learning that there were areas of the stock market she actually understood very well. And she found those areas by looking around at what she buys every day. Where is she going to buy stuff? And she ended up discovering that Whole Foods, which is her favorite market, is a public company and that she could actually understand it as she dug deeper into it. So basically, Charlie Munger says it boils down to three, three important things that you have to do. You have to, first off, be capable of understanding the business that you're going to own. So if you're going to start a laundromat, you better understand laundromats. If you're going to buy a McDonald's franchise, you better understand McDonald's. Same thing here. You're going to understand the business. So you stick to the things you know about. Second, you've got to have a business that has protection against competition. And Charlie calls this a durable competitive advantage. Warren calls it a moat. And really what it is is a business that just has some quality to it that's baked into it that is very hard to replicate. For example, a railroad company has railroad tracks and you can't compete with them unless you get railroad tracks and railroad tracks are hard to come by. So there's some companies which have this kind of quality that you want to focus on. And third, you want it run by people who are honest, have integrity, they're, they're talented. And those three things go together to make a wonderful business for you to buy. So can you understand it? Does it have a moat? Has it got good people running it? And then the fourth thing that you have to do is know what it's worth and buy it cheaper. You have to know what it's worth. And we spend quite a bit of time in the book explaining three different ways to figure out what a company is worth. Um, and that's, that's really the key, I think. So those two things are the critical thing. Is it a wonderful business? Which means you understand it, it's got a moat and it's got good management. And number two, what's it worth? And can you buy it on sale? I would imagine there's a very public feud going on right now between uh, Warren Buffett. I wouldn't really call it a feud, just a little Twitter back and forth between Warren Buffett and uh, Elon Musk. Warren Buffett talking about the moat, Elon Musk saying the moat's crap and that you should follow innovation. I think I can predict where you sit there, but is it that you think that Elon's, well, let me not put words in your mouth. What do you think? Well, they're both right from where they sit. They're absolutely 100% both right. Elon is in an industry which is known for a creative destruction as the way to protect yourself. You have to destroy the iPhone 5 to sell the iPhone 6. You can't just come out with iPhone 5A and do very well. So you, you have to wreck your previous baby in order to prevent somebody in a garage from doing it for you. And that's the nature of the technology industry. And it is absolutely true that what Elon says, you it's innovation, 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 moving forward, moving forward, moving forward from where you were. Buffett's point is that that requirement to move forward with innovation produces a level of uncertainty about whether you're going to succeed in doing that for a long enough period of time for an investor like Buffett to want to own your company. He And number one, that's the number one thing. Number two is he finds it very difficult to know enough about a company that's in the creative destruction business to be able to say, I know where this is going to be in 10 years. And that is a requirement for a Buffett investor. I have to have a very strong opinion that the company that I'm buying will be around and be more productive in 10 years than it is today, or I can't buy that company. So Buffett, Buffett said once, he was talking about Bill Gates trying to encourage him to get into Microsoft back in the 90s. And, and Gates said, look, Warren, computers are 
the new thing. You need to have a computer. And Bubba goes, why do I need a computer? He says, well, you need it to figure out your taxes. He says, oh, I don't, you know, I don't have to, have to worry about that. I got people. And then he said, well, you need to track your investments. And Bubba says, well, I only have one investment, Berkshire. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't need a computer to track one stock, okay? And then Gates gave up. And Warren said, look, here's the thing, Bill. He said, you say that the computers are going to change everything, okay? He said, well, will they change the way we chew gum? And Gates goes, no, nah, I don't think so. He says, okay, then I'm going to stick to gum and you go to computers. <laughs> <laughs> and of course he did. He totally stuck to gum. And he's got stuff that's about gum. He's got craft, right? That's about gum. And he's got Wrigley's and that's about gum. But he did something new, and Charlie was patting him on the back for it at the last meeting. Basically said, Warren just keeps learning, and that's what makes him so good. And that new thing that he did is he bought up a huge stake in Apple computer. And so all of us are, are looking at this. He also bought a stake in IBM, which he's in the process of selling. But he bought that big stake, and he added to it uh, recently on Apple, You know, famously added to it. Everybody knows he's doing it. And people wanted to know why. And, and the essence of it, I'll give you my view on why, as opposed to Elon Musk, right, who he's saying is very difficult to invest with in, in something like Tesla. With Apple, he, Buffett thinks that they have an ecosystem that is so powerful and so well protected by patents that it's, it's a moat. It's a huge moat that does not require Apple to be a technology company. He doesn't think Apple is going to live or die based on being able to be the next greatest iPhone or the next greatest computer or the next greatest anything. They now are more like a company that just has to copy whatever the next best thing is, integrate it into their ecosystem, and off you go. And nobody who, who anybody like me, like I'm in the Apple ecosystem. I've got two Apple machines sitting in front of me right now. I've got an iWatch. I use an iPhone. So I'm in this ecosystem. And so I understand what Buffett's talking about, that I'm a captured customer, right? They're going to have to really miss the boat before I shift over to something else. And if they do miss that boat, if they miss it by long enough and, and badly enough, then I will shift. But it's a huge moat. Right. That keeps me as a customer, right? Yeah. Very difficult for you to change. I love the fact you talk about this being simple but not easy. And because of that, you break this down to a lesson a month so people can take this. It's kind of like chewing the elephant, you know, one bite at a time. The book right, is called right. Invested. It's uh, by both Danielle and you. And of course, what I like is that it's all focused on really the same investing prowess that you showed in, uh, in Rule One. Which is my son's favorite book, by the way. Well, kid, uh, that's pretty cool. Thank you. Don, thanks. And, and I would encourage him to read Invested, particularly if he's read Rule One, because in Invested, I go into another two other means of valuation. Um, one in particular that we call the 10 cap method of valuation, which Warren explained a couple of, of different times in the, um, back in the day. And you start to realize that this way of investing models how people buy real estate, how just ordinary people determine whether they want to buy a piece of real estate to rent out to somebody else. And if you can do that and you use the 10 cap method to find a valuation, you're going to find you'll be able to, to pick a, a, a price to buy a company pretty easily. Uh, the book's available everywhere? Everywhere. It's out there. It was the number one nonfiction book in the United States the first week of April, uh, according that. to the LA Times. And it was uh, number seven on the New York Times bestseller list. And um, it has really taken off. I, I'm so excited for Danielle in particular um, that all of that work that she put into it to, to write this thing from her point of view as a novice is being so well received. I mean, so many people have come up to her and said, you know, you're me. You're asking all the questions I wanted to ask and never had anybody to ask it of. I had, there's a, about a 50 year old construction worker that came up to me at one of our classes and, you know, a guy's got tattoos. He's a burly guy. He's a real guy guy, you know, and he comes up and, and Danielle's sitting there and he goes, I just want to tell you that you're me or more. No, he said, <laughs> and I'm you. That was the best part. And she just gave him a big hug. And it's just so true that she's reflecting the fears that so many people have and demanding that she get the answers, right? That, that's the part that makes her pretty good. She's a good attorney. 
NYU law trained mind right there. And she just digs until she understands. And that digging has created, I think, a really good book about investing. Well, and I'd be remiss too, speaking of InvestEd, if I didn't mention the podcast, which is a huge hit and people can even hear her voice there. Tell everyone about the podcast because it's awesome fun on my morning run. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Much appreciated for the plug. It's called Invested Podcast, and it's Danielle and I starting a couple of years ago with her not knowing anything about investing. And then she's coming to her dad and saying, hey, I want to learn. And then she comes to her dad as a very well-educated, very smart daughter who is not intimidated in the least to tell me off completely. <laughs> she is and not afraid she- at all. <laughs> She's, she does. In fact, she's very good at it, Phil. She's really good at taking me down. And the result of that, of course, is the book, Invested. Yeah. But uh, more to the point is a podcast that's pretty entertaining. She doesn't go light on me very often. And as a result, the education coming through the podcast is, I think, really good. If you want to start at the beginning and come forward, uh, 165 podcasts, you're going to get a heck of an education. I would say, I think I do that for fun. And then I dig in with the book. Uh, t- hey, pass along our congratulations to her as well. Phil, thanks for hanging out with us sure, for a few Joe. minutes. You're awesome. Thanks for having me on. Hey there, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And because I miss National Tourism Day, let's turn your attention on our belated tour to the best part of this podcast, my trivia. People from outside the USA visit lots of cities, but most visit New York, which is disappointing because the Whataburger here in Texarkana is not to be missed if it's your first time in the States. Just my two cents. In fact, the next top cities are pretty easy to imagine. In fact, Miami is second with less than half of the foreign visitors when compared to New York, but then Los Angeles is third, Orlando is fourth, and San Francisco is fifth. Pretty easy, right? So here's today's multiple choice question. How many of the next five cities can you name? I'll be back with your tour of the second half of the trivia segment. My answer right after I give the microphone back to Joe for a couple of minutes. Well, when you shop online, do you suddenly turn into a tab hoarder, loading dozens and dozens of new tabs in your browser in search of a promo code? Just one that might work. Afraid to close any of them in fear of missing out on a deal? I swear I do this every time the holidays come around and I'm looking for another gift. Well, guess what? Before you crash your browser yet again, try Honey. Honey's the free browser add-on that over 9 million people are using every day to save money while they shop online. I love using Honey, especially when I'm shopping at some of the sites that I think the best deal is happening at. And surprise, it sounds like there is a better deal. And I didn't know where it was. So in two clicks, you can add Honey to any browser for free, then shop like you normally do. Honey scans and tests millions of coupons in the background. And at checkout, Honey automatically applies the best coupon. Time Magazine calls Honey basically free money. I love that. Free money. Over 9 million people use Honey every day. Together, they've saved millions of dollars. There's no reason not to add Honey to your browser today. It's free. Takes just two clicks to install and will save you tons of money. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash SB. I tried to put in Honey. Didn't work. Joinhoney.com slash SB. That's two words. Joinhoney.com slash SB to start saving with Honey today. That's joinhoney.com slash SB. The following is an actor, not a real person. We tried to find an actual Stacking Benjamins podcast listener, but we're not sure any exist. Yesterday, I turned on one of those other podcasts. Ugh, more money talk? The topic was something called long-term care, and they couldn't even make me care for the short term. That podcast made me feel like just another number. Hi, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, the huge star of the award-winning Stacking Benjamin show. Are you tired of podcasts that blabber on about money? Are you confused about all this IRA, SEPP, 72T, and fiduciary talk? At Stacking Benjamins, you're not just another number to us. Heck, if you actually listen, you're the only number. That's why we barely ever talk about money. 
Better yet, we treat you like family. We'll invite you on down to Joe's mom's basement, serve you some pie and maybe even a little lemonade. And best yet, when you leave, we'll complain about you behind your back. Because that's what real family moments are all about. I'm never going back to that old podcast. Stacking Benjamins is a way for me to avoid numbers and feel that warm, fuzzy feeling I get every time I scream at my sister on the phone. Stacking Benjamins, where you're not a number, your family. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and this is going to be fun. Here was today's tourism-fueled trivia question. You may know that New York, Miami, Los Angeles, Orlando, and San Francisco are the five most visited cities by foreign tourists. How many of the next five can you name? If you guessed Las Vegas at number six, Honolulu at seven, Washington, D.C. at eight, Chicago at number nine, and triumphantly shouted, Boston as number 10, you're amazing, or more likely, you cheated. Please don't cheat, as Joe's mom says, there are lots of reasons to lose your after-dinner ice cream privileges, but cheating at trivia isn't one of them. I know that from experience. Ouch! See ya! What's that song? Two out of five ain't bad? Yeah, you know, not too shabby, I suppose. DC was an obvious one. I'm DC was the was yeah not hard. You got Vegas. You got Chicago. That was good. Honolulu is. Yeah, I would have never got that one. Just a, that's that's the tough one. And Boston, Boston probably was Boston when you were close to. But 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 you went with uh, Dallas. I would think I would think Austin. Yeah, before, Seattle. Would you, would Seattle. you think Austin or Seattle before Dallas? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I just, just making or, cities up or Fahonics. San Diego, Pahonics. Pahonics. It's a solid P. <laughs> hey, OG, I got an idea. Let's throw out the Haven Lifeline. How about that? And tackle some of life's, or rather, life insurance's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency. By the way, we always say that our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency. Seriously, aren't those people cool? Like your own and the whole team, Brittany. Definitely friends. Your own, just every time we see them at a conference, they are like the nicest people to work with. And you can tell by the way, they set up their website to make it so smooth and easy to use. But they're disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on those two things you value most, your family and your time. That's why they created a simple way to buy affordable and dependable term life insurance online. If you head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life, you'll get a free estimate for coverage and you'll learn about insurance the modern way. And man, do they make it much, much quicker and easier to buy insurance than you're used to. Let's say hello to our good friend, Andy. Say hi, Andy. Hello, Stacking Benjamin's crew. This is Andy from Michigan. I'm a big fan of the show, but I am yet to learn anything. So are you guys gonna you guys gonna work on that? Anyway, I have a question for you. I recently paid off my mortgage and I'm looking for some advice on what to do with my money to reach financial independence. For the last five months, we've been throwing around fifteen hundred to two thousand bucks in a savings account just hoping to pile it up for our first rental property. We were hoping to pull the trigger here in Metro Detroit on our first rental property late this year or early next. But I also see the appeal of pursuing FI, this fire lifestyle, through investing in low-cost mutual funds, index funds, in a taxable brokerage account. So... I'm looking for some help here, guys. So we're already maxing the 401k, the, the Roths, and HSA, and we want to keep this uh, wealth building going. So where should I put my money? Thank you. Thanks, Andy. I'm surprised you didn't mention Bitcoin because this whole discussion is going to be about crypto. This is exactly crypto 101. Like, I'm a big fan of Ripple. I like Ethereum. Litecoin. Those are the only ones I know. I just know those four. We're done. There's probably 700 more. We, we just said all the cryptocurrency buzzwords we know. And now we're, yeah, now that's we're it. Done. Blockchain. <laughs> Say wallet. Uh, wallet. Put it in your Dig- wallet. Digital, digital wallet. 
What do we do after we pay off the mortgage and max everything else out? Congratulations on you, that, by the way, Andy. Yeah, How cool is that? That's great. I think I think you should probably consider doubling down and getting a bigger house with a bigger payment now that you've got that one paid off. Right. More kids. Uh, oh, yeah, totally. If you could have like two or three more kids, that would ruin your life probably. But um, That's the investment that keeps on giving. Yeah, it is. Well, it's the one that keeps you working anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, rental property and broker's account. I don't think it has to be either or. In fact, I don't think it should be either or. If he's interested in rental property, I think rental properties take a certain, you have to have a certain mentality. Yes, you have to have a certain mentality to want to do that. Je ne sais quoi. So I'm okay with not having that. I'm going to pretend like I know know what you mean. I have no idea. You have to have a certain uh, something uh, that... to make that happen. But so, so, so if, yes. So if you don't, if you don't, I'm okay with uh, not doing rental property, but if you are, by all means do rental properties and brokerage like it. Easy. Stay diversified. Yeah. Low cost index funds and rental property. Bam. Next question. How, how, how tough was that? And he's already maxing out all his tax shelters. I don't think annuities have advanced enough to really look at that, even though we've talked before about places like Blueprint are coming. But um, yeah, not my not my first choice if he's interested in the other two. So there he goes. Good stuff. Thanks for the question. I feel like we didn't answer it. We just said yes, yes, and more. Yeah. Get a better job, make more money, <laughs> save more. Thanks for the question, Andy. We also get mail down here in the basement. By the way, the mailbag's still backed up. We uh, still are behind. So if you want to uh, be closer to the front in line, those Haven Lifeline people, not only getting the uh, greatest money show on earth shirt like we're going to send to Andy, but they also get their question answered much quicker. But Eli is the next person in line. He says he has a student loan that seems to be broken into six segments. He says, I assume because of different payout dates. What this means is that when I lost my job... And they refused to work with me, and I started missing payments. Uh-oh. They showed on my credit oh, report. They showed up on my credit six report as missing six payments every month. This adds up quickly to destroy my payment history. I'm back on track now, but I'm still showing heaps of missed payments. Anything I can do to fix that other than continue as I am until they drop off in 10 years? Sad face. Thanks for the question, Eli. Uh, you got something for him? So, number one, you can consolidate your loans just to make your life easier. That may or may not make sense. <clears throat> you know, check the interest rates with Navient, Sally Mae, or if they're private loans, you know, you could consider a private loan consolidator. Magnify Money will have all that information there for you. As far as what do you do, I think it's important to recognize that the dings for mispayments really fall off in terms of their weight on your credit score in six-month increments up to about two years. They'll still be there. People can still see it and it will still affect it slightly. But the major pain in the credit score department of a late payment, and then in your case, six late payments, happens in six month increments. So so if you were late in your January payment of 2018 and then never late again, its severity in terms of your credit score decreases in July January of next year, July of the year after, you know, next year, and then January of the year after that, pretty much its weight has fallen off. Again, it's still going to be there. In fact, not only will it still be there, and you mentioned 10 years, but if you pay your student loans for 20 years, that record will still maintain, you know, it'll be 18 years ago, 20 years from now, but you know what I mean? It'll still be hanging out. People will still be able to see that you were late a long They'll time ago. They'll be able ago. to see, but the, but the effect on your score will be gone. Yeah, and majorly gone in two years. So if, 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 I don't know that you have to worry too much about it. You can ask for leniency. I've never heard of anybody successfully asking them to remove late payments uh, or late payment status. I've never heard of uh, never heard of them. But this is a good lesson. If you are running into financial trouble with lenders, whether student loans or other ones, you have to be proactive. I have seen this so many times where people will just kind of bury their head in the sand and go, well, I, I can't pay. So what are you going to do? You know, I don't have the money. I lost my job. I got to put food on the table. And all of that is true. But you still have to be proactive and communicate with them. If you would have communicated with your student loan people, if they're a regular kind of like Navient, Salome type of deal, you could have just got a forbearance. 
Now that still accumulates interest. It's not the it's not the perfect solution, but it keeps you from having those late payments. You know, so maybe that wasn't an option if they were private loans or something like that. But um, if you want to take a stab at asking for for leniency, the best thing you can do is uh, just send them a letter and ask them to remove some of the late payments. I would ask them to remove the most recent ones if possible. But in two years, you'll be okay. If he wants to clean it up a little quicker, you know, if he's worried about cleaning it up now, I know there's a company, we had them on our Friday FinTech uh, called SelfLender, where you you put money in savings and you take out a loan through them and then they use the savings to pay back the loan. And essentially what happens is you're doing pretty close to what you would do with a secured credit card, right? So you get a loan, you put that money aside, and then they take money from the loan, pay it off. It's at a very nominal interest rate because of the fact that they're giving you interest on one side, you're paying a small interest rate on the other. And that's how they make money is on that that difference between the two. They're reporting a good good behavior, basically, is what what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, self-lender is uh, something to look up there in Austin base at selflender.com. Uh, I've talked to those guys a few times, uh, some good people running that company. But to your point, it's going to take care of itself over a not a 24 months can seem like a long time unless you need heaps of credit right now. Not the end of the world, hopefully. Yep. Thanks for the question, Eli. If you've got a question for the show, once again, Haven Lifeline, probably way to go or the Bloom call for help on Friday. Head to stackofbedjamins.com and right down the page, you'll see questions for the show. Click that link. It'll show you all the ways that you can communicate with us. And speaking of communication, if you're somebody that's communicating to yourself, you know what? I could do better with my money and I'm ready to get serious. OG's taking clients. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G when you're ready to move on and uh, get serious about your money. All right, that's going to do it for today. Go stack some Benjamins, people. Have a fantastic stack them up. rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Doug, what should we have learned, man? So what should we have learned from today's episode? First, investing? Take some advice from Phil Town. Inflation is your biggest enemy. And if you aren't saving into places that beat inflation, it's time for a new strategy. Second, looking for expertise from online celebrities? Let's maybe verify that they're real before taking their word for it. But the big lesson? When you're given basement tours, don't include OG's office on the tour. Whoa! I have not smelled a scent that strong since I forgot about my Chinese takeout in the back of the El Camino for four days last summer. Woo! Oh, gee, come on. How about some Febreze, dude? Special thanks to Joe's mom for letting us hand out cupcakes on our tour today. Every basement tour is better with pink frosting. And big thanks to Phil Town for joining us today. You'll find Danielle and Phil's book, Invested, wherever you buy books. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor.
Welcome on over to the peach cobbler of the show. Mm, yummy. Dessert. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about the after show, please. So flipping through the news as we were uh, recording because you're boring to listen to and uh, come up with this you know, article on my phone that says New Jersey school superintendent arrested after allegedly and my heart just sinks. Right. Because how many of these stories do you see that are all school related? Somebody's doing something they shouldn't be doing. And you go, gosh, you know, we got to get these people out of our lives. But then I'm lifted a little higher as I read the rest of what he's arrested for. Repeatedly pooping on the school's field. I saw this. Well, why, but I never saw why he did. Did he ever explain why he uh, he was, was, he was he, allegedly spotted defecating on the track and football field? But, but, uh, they arrested him early. But was he out on his morning run and just had to go? Well, apparently. But it says in a statement on Facebook, the police department wrote high school coaches and staff were, quote, finding human feces on or near the area of the football track on a daily basis. The near bothers me a little. The on, you're like, what the hell, dude? Yeah. And it's the superintendent. So, uh, the superintendent. He was granted a paid leave, which was nice. I read that was required by law, by the way. Okay. So just so you know, he made 150K a year. So just a word to the wise, if you're making 150 grand a year, you're making pretty good money, just so you know. There's like literally the phrase, don't shit where you eat. This is the definition of doing that. Don't do that. So anyway, congratulations, buddy, on losing your uh, 150 job. I wonder what your family says about that. Hey, kids, guess what? We get to move. Guess what happened to dad? Guess what I did. Remember when I told you, kids, that you could pee on any tree you wanted? Well, apparently you cannot. I was watching the, you know, our news in Texarkana is out of Shreveport, and somebody had this... Uh, there was a building and they said, and they're looking for this person. And it's clearly a person in running clothes before the sun comes up. And they've decided that this, that this office building is the place where they're going to go on their run. Right. And, and ah, they, okay. it, and they show the video that they're looking for this person. And what's scary is on our morning runs, you run right by that building every day. No, but in Texarkana, there is a building that has become like the spot. Like if you got to go, that's become the spot. You just got to make it like two miles. And after I saw that, I went, oh my God, if they had a security camera and I'm on the news, like, hey, Joe. <laughs> I saw you on the news. I saw you behind yeah. the dentist office. You hope. The old pooper bandit doing, again. Doing the thing. And a friend of ours that we run with named Shannon, she she always has this phrase. She says, the world is your litter box until the sun comes up, <laughs> which which is really isn't true with security cameras. Not, a, not according to this uh, Not according this to article. that article. Well, some good lessons there for the end. We say we, that we don't teach anybody lessons. Don't shit where you eat. Either that or on the school track. Uh, this was shared in the basement by our friends, uh, Kevin and Michelle, their five-year-old daughter, OG, apparently listens to the show with them. And, uh, she was being videoed by mom and dad and talking about something very, very important. They are having, uh, a, a kindergarten class bake sale so they can adopt an endangered tiger, which is okay. noble cause there. But, and let's fast, let's forward to the part where uh, she all of a sudden says something that's a little unexpected. Let's, uh, let's, let's listen into their daughter talk about, talk about this. People need to bring in pets. Oh, people need to bring in their own pets to sell? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think she should sell some real pets instead of children. Yeah, you can bring whatever you want. Okay. It's just responsible. It sounds like Joe and OC wife. Joe and OC wife has brownies. And lemonade. And lemonade. Joe and OC wife has brownies. They're mom. Joe and OG can bring brownies because they're mom. Because it's Joe's mom. Did she just say that? That is awesome. You were awesome, Nara. 
That's a lot. I don't think you want. I don't think you want mom's brownies. Can you imagine, sweetie, a bunch of kindergartners with mom's brownies from four twenty day? <laughs> talk, talk about talk about as long the, as there's also funyuns. I think they'll be all right. Talk about the superintendent getting in trouble. Yeah, right. super. What the superintendent did wouldn't be nearly as bad as uh, Mom's four twenty brownies. Thanks for thanks for showing us that. That that totally made That's our awesome. day. That's awesome. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month, and I want to celebrate people like my brother in law Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.